So welcome to the fifth episode of the Joseph M. Leather Podcast. Today I'm with Aaron from Anvil Hyde, founded in late 2019. Anvil Hyde is inspired by craftsmanship and all things handmade and is from Sydney, Australia. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. That's that's all good. Um, So I saw your advert on Facebook and thought that I'd get you on. So it's great to be able to chat with you. And have you had much success with, with that advert? Yeah, um, yeah. In a nutshell, uh, Facebook Facebook advertising's really worked for my business, um, and it's kind of been one of those things where it's enabled me to be able to do this full time. Um, I just don't know if I'd be able to do this, or I think I'd have a very hard time financially if I didn't um, do paid advertising on that platform. So for me, it's working. Um, but it doesn't always work. I've tried different things. Um, yeah, it's like you kind of got to match the perfect copy with the perfect picture or video, um, with a, with a unique selling proposition, all of those things need to come in. So, you know, it works and it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's probably the downside of online shopping because like you have to if the photo doesn't look good it's you don't get much of a click on it yeah that's right but photography especially in leather craft um you know i'm not a photographer and i don't have a a a proper camera so Mm -hmm. i had to rely on some favors for some friends to get get that stuff happening um yeah i just don't know I mean, you know, there's guys like um, like Ryan from Little King, who I think is a he was a photographer or he did, did videos. But anyway, he's got the eye, so he's yeah. his stuff just looks so good on his videos and his website yeah. and stuff that it it really help, helps the sale. Mm-hmm. You know, because people want to see that you're um, one quality but also kind of trendy to a degree. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. That's why that's why I because I was just using some of the videos that I made, I was using my phone and if the camera was quite dodgy on it, wasn't like sort of wearing out a bit. So I got a new phone and the camera on it is just so much better. So yeah, like you said, photography is such a huge thing. Well that's a good thing about the new phones, right? The camera's yeah. pretty good. Like I mm-hmm. mean, as you say, like you know, even the last three or four iPhones have had 4K video. Yeah. Um, so as long as you've got lighting, you know, pretty well down, um, they're not very good at, at doing, like, shooting in low light. But as long as you've got, you know, proper lights or whatever, you, you can generally make a pretty decent little video. Mm. Yeah, with the... I was actually, some some weeks ago, I was actually thinking about buying... A, can, a, a camera so I was looking at different cannons and that sort of stuff and then that's a that's another thing you have to learn as well you know how to do like shutter speed and that sort of stuff and then yeah. I just figured if I get a new phone like I was due for an upgrade anyway the cameras in them are just so good you don't need to worry about all that sort of photography you can just snap it and then that's it yeah, they make it pretty user-friendly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I guess th- there's functions on, like, a, a decent camera and stuff that make it similar. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, if you want a decent camera 
and lens kit. You know, you're talking a good few thousand dollars that you could be spending on leatherworking tools or materials or, yeah, I don't know, online courses, yeah. websites, you know. So I haven't done that yet, um, but I've toyed with the idea of getting a camera as well. But then, you know, I've also got friends that have cameras, so you just call in a favor and send them a wallet or send them yeah. a belt or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so what did you use to film that? that ad that's on Facebook and Instagram? Um, that one was actually shot on a decent camera, but yeah. I had a friend, yeah, as I said, a, a, a friend who's a cameraman. Um, I, I, one of the shots is like on a tracking pad. Yeah, is that the first one? Yeah, yeah. See, that is a 15-second ad. That one there is actually a 15-second ad of a minute-and-a-half video yeah. that I have on my homepage. It's just yeah. a little edit that I've done because um, Facebook likes 15-second ads. Yeah. Um, so I've just edited that mid minute and a half down, and uh, the one on the website has, like, me doing a, a spoken, like, a dialogue over the top, but I've just I've just put a song behind the one in the ad. But um, to answer your question, yeah, it was just a friend of mine who, who um, came over and would... Oh, he's actually a leather crafter as well. He he was really inspired by um, what I was doing, and he wanted to to kind of get into the world a bit more. So he came over and filmed me for an afternoon. It was great. Yeah, I, I guess that's handy as well. Having um, if you're starting out, having someone that he can like met like you can mentor because you know when you're first starting out, leather, find out what leather you want to use, the tools. Whereas if you have someone, you can just you evade all that, all those mistakes. Yeah, that's right. The amount of, you know, I don't know if it's like this for you, but the amount of products that you bought and, mm. and stuff you don't end up using, and it just sits there. You go, oh, this is the wrong leather. Um, it's just, you know, to keep the costs low, it's good to be able to ask someone directly, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a new thing that's happened in recent years, but some companies... Like instead of buying the full height, you can actually just buy little sections, you know, like two square feet of it, which is that's so handy because you don't need to buy, you know, a full side of leather is at least $500. Yeah, I, I've i been buying a couple of those little, you know, one one square foot, two square foot recently. Um, mm -hmm. I, bought, I bought a square foot of Pueblo. Is that how you say it? That's Pueblo. Um, it's from that Italian tannery. It's got a okay. really interesting texture. It's very on trend at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, I bought a square foot of that from uh, Passage Leather Supply, which is an Aussie leather supply guy. It's um, I'm pretty sure he's just starting out, this guy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I bought a square foot of that and... You know, just to test it out, I was like, I want to make some watch straps. I'm not going to buy a full side of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, spend, I think it was 40 bucks or something. Yeah. Um, so you That's can't really good. go wrong with that. Um, yeah. And then I did the same for some um, Wicked and Craig leather recently. Just got a couple of square feet just to t test it out. And it's a good way to see, you know, because mm -hmm. I would always, um, I'd always try and save a penny by buying bulk. But yeah. then if you don't end up using it, you're actually losing money. So yeah, I think it's a good way. Did you get that Wicked at Craig from Tasmania? 
No, I got okay. it from Buckle Guy in the States. Okay. Yeah, there's, a, there's actually a company in Tasmania that actually sells Wicked and Craig, and they sell like the square foot. Um, and yeah, I got some Wicked and Craig. Oh, is that uh, yeah. Maker's Leather? No, not Maker's. Is it Maker's Leather? Um, Maker's Leather Supply. Yeah, you can buy like just the the. Um, I know foot. the I know the company you're talking about. It's an offshoot of, of a of a larger American company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've just started. Yeah, they started in Australia. Yeah, that's right. They do some lighter. They do some lighter weight. Um, yeah. Craig. They don't really do the heavier stuff, from my understanding. But yeah, it's just two to three, four to five. And that's it. Yeah. But yeah, that was handy because I bought some Wicked and Craig and then I worked on some of it and yeah, it was, it was just handy. You get like a little piece and you test it out. That was, I guess that was my first question. How did you get into leather craft? Yeah, I um, I was making, I wanted to get into knife making and um, I made a knife by hand and when I'd finished it, I thought, oh, I'll make a sheath, like a, a, a leather sheath. And so I made the sheath. Um, I bought some leather from, I think, Tandy at the time, back when Tandy was in Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, made the sheath, and I thought, this is pretty fun. And the good thing about it was I could do it on my living room table. So with yeah. the knife making, I was like, well, I don't... I, I live in a unit in the city, right? I live in Sydney. Um, so I just didn't have room to set up a whole knife-making uh, workshop and I was a um, I was a cabinet maker by trade so I kind of knew that there was once you kind of get into it you do end up getting big tools and all this expensive stuff and you need a space to store it with leather it's like you can run a pretty a pretty decent little side hustle with really only hand tools um, in a spare room or just even on the even on the dining table, you know, pulling it out, packing it away. So that's how I started. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So so then so nice so nice making. So then I guess well, did sheets inspired you to go leather craft? Because it's like you can't do blade. I mean blade making. Yeah. Yeah. Once I'd made the sheath, I was like, well, I want to continue making something with my hands because yeah. I was I've been working in an office job for the for the last. I don't know, decade or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do to do more handmade stuff, and you know, leather was the perfect sort of middleman between, um, as I said, big machinery and you know, low cost, easy startup, um, those sort of things. So, and I, and I also really have I've always enjoyed like a quality leather product. You know, I think people that get into leather craft. Um, probably have had some nice piece of leather something along their life and they've seen it outperform pvc belts from kmart and you know that was it for me like i i bought a quality leather belt when i was maybe 18 i got it shipped from the states for like 25 bucks or something but it was a full grain harness uh leather belt and it's still as strong today as it was then. You kind of get a little bit of a taste for uh, just the the characteristics of leather and and the way it changes and patina and 
Yeah, that's that's the one of the unique things about leather because you know you can get a nice leather bag, a leather belt, a leather wallet, and even if you don't do leather crafts, like leather crafting, there's people out there that will appreciate a nice leather bag or belt or something like that. Whereas it's a very unique. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's, and, and you know, there's definitely a resurgence of people being interested in handmade, you know. I think that probably the biggest thing is just the fact that we've gone so far away from handmade and we've gone to this instant Kmart cheap, um, mass-produced, made cheap, um, but fall apart in, in 6 to 12 months that um, people are starting to get a little bit of a hunger for quality again, I think. Yeah. I actually think it's going to go even more more this way, so I think it's a good time to be getting into handmade leather or handmade anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to go... I think it's got a little bit of time to run, um, so... It, yeah, I, I think it's a good time to be involved. Yeah, I know in, in one of the, in my case, like edu- education as well has become so, has been so put on a pedestal and so made so complex, which it actually really isn't, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, know, you have to go to, you have to do all these courses just to get and spend all this money to get a little qualification. Right. Whereas like you can easily learn basic things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. A, a lot of, um, you know, there, there's a lot to be said from YouTube University. Um, you know, it's free. Uh, you can actually learn real life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can provide, like, once you've got the skills, you've got to hone your skills and everything like that. You've got to get to a certain level. But you can you can generate an income, you know, learning a skill that you you, you essentially acquired for free yeah um so that's that's awesome i mean you gotta love the internet for that but when you were learning leather craft you obviously would have had a that you would have had you know this is absolutely no formal training in how to work with leather work how did you learn um yeah just trial and error i guess um well i mean learning Probably, well, I learnt through YouTube, like, techniques and, and you know, things like, you know, you have to case leather before you tool it or whatever. Like, you've got to bevel the edge with, an, with a thing called an edge beveler and then you've got to burnish it using a product, you know, whatever that's going to be. Um, yeah, trial and error was a big thing. Um, but I just tried to make it, for me, the process, because I didn't know I wanted to do this as a business or anything, I was purely doing it as a hobby, what can I make next that I kind of need. So, you know, first I mentioned the, the knife knife sheath, and then I, w- I, I can't remember what I made. Maybe I made some belts for some family members for Christmas, and then I made a satchel because I needed a satchel, and I thought, oh, it's not too hard. It's a pretty basic shape. Just a really simple over-the-shoulder man bag. Um, then I was building a motorcycle, so I, I made a motorcycle seat. Um, 
and you know little techniques you pick up along the way um hand stitching machine stitching dyeing buying pre-dyed all these different things i kind of like tweaked what i like doing what i don't like doing and what techniques work and don't work but at the same time um i'm still pretty new to it and i'm changing techniques all the time trying mm-hmm. stuff out throwing away things that i don't think are as effective yeah and that would have been all from youtube <laughs> Yeah, learnt a lot from um, Ian Atkinson. Do you know him? Oh, yeah, yeah. I watched him when I was first into YouTube. Going just, into yeah, he's work. just brilliant. He's just brilliant. Ian Atkinson, um, yeah, Stock and Barrel, uh, Parker. Uh, learnt a lot from him. Um, there's just heaps. There's heaps of stuff on there. It's, it's great. Mm, yeah. And especially when you see him actually make the products as well. It, you can just yeah just just do that and then see if it works out or not. It, yeah, so helpful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what items were you inspired by, or are you inspired by? Um, I'm inspired. I even though I I don't really do them, um, but backpacks I really like. Yeah. I, I, I do I do have a backpack. There's one just behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, like a roll top style. Um, yeah. I've made a few of them. I quite like the uh, the outdoors. Um, uh, you know, I'm kind of inspired a bit more by outdoor, hard wearing, functional. You know, I want beauty to meet functional. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, more more so than just really dainty leather leather products. They they have a place, but I just don't really love dainty stuff yeah yeah then that's yeah that's interesting i've seen some it's sort of a similar design where someone will be out in the bush and they'll have that like really thick solid belt like it's a leather belt and they'll have all their different you know compartments and it just looks just yeah it just, just looks nice you know you just it's not like a plasticky easy to make equipment is sort of a, you see the solid hard wearing yeah yeah that's right um that sort of bushcraft world I, I really like camping and bushcraft and that sort of stuff and um yeah what you're describing is kind of what i based a uh, recent release of mine I, I made a belt called the unbreakable belt and it's just an unbelievably thick and heavy duty belt for kind of getting out there and i mean you could wear it around an office or whatever but you know it's it's like a it's like a decent you know product to be used not just not just nice nice to look at yeah is that that one with the two prongs yeah i've got a couple with two prongs yeah 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 because when i saw the two prong ones that just that's what it reminded me of like the outdoors um, because a lot of those outdoors doorsy sort of the two prong belt yeah i think it's based on um on saddle making you know because a lot of those yeah a lot of those straps are like 50 mil wide mm-hmm. you know super wide um I, I don't know much about like equestrian products but i've just noticed that a lot of the saddlery shops have like 50 mil wide 55 mil wide buckles yeah. with two prongs you know it's like i guess it's for keeping the saddle on the horse yeah <laughs> So then, how? So that was you had that as a hobby for a while. 
So how did Anvil Hide come about? Um, yeah, so I launched in... Well, I mean, I, I just kind of... I, I had been making products, I don't know how long for, but a couple of years, and I just thought, you know what, why not just put up a Shopify? It's pretty cheap. Um, I'll get some, I'll get some, um, some photos from some friends and I'll put it up and I'll see what happens. Um, and maybe there's a possibility where I can drop one of my, cause I was full-time office working. Maybe there's a possibility I can work, uh, drop one of my days and do Leathercraft once a day for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of where it started. I launched the brand, didn't. Yeah, sort of dropped a day, a bit on faith, um, not really having the customers to be able to justify it. But, you know, you can still sort of earn a decent income with four days a week. Well, you can you can earn enough to get by anyway. Yeah. So did that for a year, maybe a year and a half. And then, yeah, really started ramping up or testing out ad- advertising. And then it was sort of paying the bills for that day. And then it was paying the bills for more than one day so I could drop another day. Um, and so it was an incremental process to be able to go full time, which I did three months ago. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's impressive. So so that, that advertisement, was that just through Facebook or, like, or Google Ads? Yeah, just through Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm not opposed to Google um, advertising. I just don't know much about it. But Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've got a couple of friends in the Facebook business. I don't know if you've used Facebook Business Manager, but it's very no. targeted. You know, you can find someone that's interested in leather. Yeah. You know, so I just target it towards people that are interested in leather, they're interested in handmade, they're interested in quality products. Uh, and mm-hmm. those are the people that generally see the ad. Um, so it's great in that sense, but then again, there's some massive changes coming to Facebook as um, as privacy and everything gets clamped down on. Um, yeah, Apple Apple are making some changes there, so we'll see if that's that might not be the medium in the future. I don't know. Yeah, it's always changing. Yeah, that, that's that's actually interesting because yeah, I, I don't know much about. Um, well, I didn't know that they were actually going to clamp down on that sort of stuff in the future, but. I guess that's the handy thing about Facebook because you bypass a lot of a lot of I guess like if you think of your traditional advertising through radio, you know you have to ring up, give them a script, they have to record it, then you have to pick the time where you want it because you know it's more it's more I guess it's I, I assume that it would be more expensive at you know not six a.m. to nine a.m. Whereas you just go on Facebook and it's just you just bypass all that hassle. You know, you, you provide the content and they just post it for you. Yeah, that's right. And they post it to people with that interest. Yeah. That that's the big thing which may change because I don't know if you've seen the um the documentary The Social Dilemma. I've seen parts of it, but yes, yeah, it's quite freaky. It's a kind of um that's kind of the way that you find customers is because yeah. the website's following you. They know your interests. Um, You know, as a consumer, I don't like the thought of that. But as somebody who makes something, I want to show my product to people who are interested Mm. in it, not just some random that's going to listen to the six o'clock news on the radio. 
Yeah. Um, he's never going to buy my product, but somebody who's interested in my product may buy my product. Yeah. Have you ever done markets before? No. No? No. I did a market. I want to get back into them, actually, when I build up more of more products. But I found they were, they were quite helpful because you do see your customers face-to-face. Yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, the people that frequent markets as well, they're kind of, they're kind of people that are interested in handmade stuff. They want to know, you know, a lot of them, especially now, like organic markets and, yeah. you know. So there's a customer there that I think is more willing to, to spend a little bit more. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would try it. Um, yeah, I've got some friends that do do markets for their business, which isn't in leather crafting. It seems to do pretty well. Um, but, you know, you've got to have an inventory of product. Yeah, yeah. You've got you've to gotta pay your fees, take out time from your weekend. You know, it's it, there's... There's pluses and minus, but I would like yeah. to try it. Yeah. 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 That's that's. I guess that is the downside because you have to have stall insurance, like your stall, and this is, that's what this makes it. You just make a Shopify account and it, you pay fifty dollars a a month or whatever. Whereas, yeah, that's just the. I think a lot of that will have to change in the future, like how leases work. Because with online, it just makes things so much easier. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i kind of at the point now where I'm like, you know, if online is the only way to do things, um, I'm fine with that. But, um, like, if that was the only way uh, for me to be able to generate an income, that that's okay. Um, but if, you know, you can also supplement it by doing markets or whatever, then, then great. But um, that's yeah. a whole nother... Um, it's a whole nother kettle of fish really, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, you've got to have the product. You've got to have, I mean, some people are not good at talking to people. I don't know. I, I did sales for a bit. I wasn't great. <laughs> um, but when it's on my website, it's kind of, I've written the copy and it's selling, it's selling itself in a way rather than, yeah, yeah I don't know, just different skill set, isn't it? But I guess because you are the maker of the of what you make and you know what, you know, you, I guess that's the good thing about, you know, you source all your materials, like from your thread, your buckles, your leather. So you would have that more, I guess it wouldn't be as hard as you think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am open to the idea. Um, but but just for me at the moment, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll do, I'll do online. But yeah, you know, another thing is these handmade markets. Have you seen them? Give me an example. Uh, I think it's like called, your typical farmers market, or no, there's there's like uh, these touring mark. This is before COVID, so I don't know if yeah. this is going to be a thing going forward. But um, it's basically like a thing that travels around to the major cities of Australia, they book out a massive um, convention centre in the middle of the city and all the handmade different whatevers, they get a stall there. So you get thousands of customers going past your table. They're all interested in handmade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there'd be other leather workers and stuff there. So there's a little, like a little bit of competition, but, you know, um, yeah. 
you're basically dealing with people that are specifically there to um, to buy something handmade or see something handmade. So yeah, that's probably I don't know if it, it, it would have a better better hit rate than like a farmers market. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something similar in Adelaide where they they run it twice a I think it's twice a year, and it's pretty much like the exquisite they hand pick you know you put you put an application and they hand pick all the people and it, it's sort of what you say they rent out a space and you'll get flooded with people who are actually interested in the you know craftsmanship and that sort of stuff and they'll have you know food stalls and wine and all that sort of stuff to so it's also it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of a social thing as well as a shopping thing as well it's not just shopping it's sort of a mix between the two yeah yeah that's good yeah but it, it draws those people whereas i guess that's probably that's the down and yeah i think that that's sort of the the benefit of those little things probably the downside is that it's only you know once or twice a year but once that happens right. you get you get the people that are actually interested in um handmade stuff yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah i would do it um i hope i hope that stuff opens up because then you get to meet people you know it's like yeah it can be a little bit isolating just sitting in your studio making products yeah um i think that's probably a good thing for you with doing the podcast is you get to like talk to different makers oh, it's so uh, ideas great. and um and the stories stuff. are similar as well like yeah. how how you started off and the people that you watch on YouTube and you learn from it's like yeah that's like you know it's, I can think of times when I'd watch YouTube you know you know Stock and Barrel and Little King Goods just to see what they're doing and try to implement it yeah yeah so so then I guess because you when you did this because the next question was like because you have you have a young family and so. How did you go from making that leap to being the like from when you had that discussions of, you know, I want to do this full time. Was that um, like when you were confident you could make it a thing once you decided to make it a full time? Yeah. I mean, obviously, as I said before, you kind of do it incrementally. Yeah. At first I dropped one day, then I dropped two. And then, you know, with the two days, I did that for a, a number of months um, to make sure that the numbers were, were fairly accurate. Um, obviously, with, you know, kids and stuff. And I, I just wanted to make sure that financially I was going to be okay and make sure that we'd be able to eat <laughs> and pay our yeah. rent. Yeah. Um, so... I did that for a few months um, just to make sure that the numbers were all good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I, when I, I mean, that's not everyone can drop a day at their, at their workplace. You know, their, their yeah. boss might say no. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a reality. So luckily I, I had a boss who was, you like, you know, like as long as you can get your work done and we palm some of it off to, you know, a two IC or whatever, I, I was a manager, but, um, you know, it, he was okay with that. And so that was a really good thing for me to be able to just be doing three days. And then when when the business was telling me that I could ramp it up and do more work, that was time to throw in the notice. So, that, yeah, that was October. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, But, uh, but of course, you know, like there's always doubts and doubts, fears and insecurities when you're talking about 
throwing in your weekly pay packet. You know, mm. you kind of think, oh, what if this, what if this thing goes belly up and then I don't have a job? But With, um, especially in 2020 as well, that's a, yeah, that's true. That's a risk. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, I, look, I was I was so fed up with what I was doing at the time as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been in that specific role for six years and generally didn't find it challenging anymore. So it was time to time to do something and take a risk. And I definitely don't re- don't regret taking risks. Yeah, uh, that's that's great. That's great to hear. So that, that sort of leads on to the next question. So how did you grow your business? Because like you said, it was incrementally. Mm. How did you grow it? Like you mentioned that the Facebook advertisement, but yeah, I, I it's like. Um... I don't know if there's a saying, but it's something like it's something like momentum causes its own mm-hmm. momentum or whatever it is. It's like once you get going on something, you find that uh, things that you didn't expect seem to happen, um, good things. Mm-hmm. And as long as you keep focused, like laser focused on what you want to do, it'll generate enough of a momentum to be able to carry it itself through. So that happens with with Leathercraft where, you know, I, I sort of think, oh, I'll sell to a customer and, well, I used to think I'll sell to a customer, they'll buy my product and that'll sort of be the end of it. But but um, it's not the case, you know, that that's going to be the case with some customers, but other customers, they'll come back two, three, four times, they'll buy the same product for a family member, they'll buy your other products. Um, they do come back sometimes, you know, and yeah. that's what keeps you, your business going is that, yeah. that um, I, I think you can never overemphasize the importance of, of being um, just, just doing a good job for your customer and making sure that they're happy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I just try to go the extra mile for, for my customers where I can. Some of them are difficult, but most of the time they're good. And if I find if I go the extra mile and give them something that that, that um, exceeds their expectations, they come back. Yeah. And they tell their friends. Yeah. That, that's the key. So how do you go that extra mile? Um... Well, I don't, I try not to cut corners, you know, there's, yeah. some, there's some corners that you can cut in manufacturing, but there's some that you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've used a lot of different leathers, um, but I just really don't have any room for cheaper leathers in these days because once you, once you handle the good stuff, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, I could save. 25% by by lowering the, the leather, but when the customer holds it, they're not going to love it to the same degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of think if you're doing a, a product, make it the best materials that you can you can you can charge for, you know? Yeah. Give them something yeah. that's like this is this is something I've never had before. So that's kind of what I like to do with the belt yeah. campaign. Um, which is my big seller, because it's the one I advertise. 
I just try to give them a belt that they've never had before. It's better yeah. than anything they've ever had. Yeah. No, no, I, I completely sympathise with you with that because when I was choosing, you know, the like leather and all that sort of stuff, like the le- the leather's a huge thing, but also the thread. Like I make sure the thread is is up to my stand. You know, the, the buckles are up to my standard, and yep. it's sort of that you you bring all these different materials, and it's just yeah, once you hold it, it's just beautiful. Yeah, so I don't cut corners with with materials um, at this point. I, I did when I was doing the hobby thing because I, I couldn't justify putting any money in mm-hmm. or, or any more money in. But now that I'm doing it as a business, um, yeah, I'm just not going to cut a corner Yeah. to try and save a buck because it's not yeah. saving anything. Yeah. That plays in your conscious as well. I know for me it does. Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you want to be proud of something. I think yeah. when you finish a product and you're not proud of it or there's something that's wrong with it, it's like, ah, uh, I don't want to give this to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because mm. you know where it's from. Like, you know. That's right. Yeah. So I guess the, I guess that's, is your business, is it, is it made to order? Like what you what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's yeah. Because I find that made to order is a lot more. I guess because you don't you don't you don't use a lot of wastage. Whereas like if you're making a thousand things, it's just sitting there. Whereas made to order is a lot more. You make it as it comes, and I think a lot more pe- people are patient with it as well. Like they understand. Yeah, I think some people, some people definitely understand some people don't um i guess that's one of the hard things with living in like an amazon culture where yeah same day shipping um and stuff you've got to really be pretty direct in your copy on your website that hey this is a handmade product i'm making Mm -hmm. it to your specifications it's going to take whatever it is seven to 14 days or 21 days or whatever um and i'm not going to be able to return it if you change your mind because it's made to you yeah um some people get that other people are like you know i ordered a wallet yesterday where is it yeah it's still on the cow mate (laughs) um where am i up to on this oh that was the next one what leather do you use for your products um, all different stuff depending on the product, as you know. Yeah. You know, um, but for my belts, I use uh, bridle and harness leather. Um, yeah. I've used stuff from Aussie companies, Aussie tanneries to the US. I'm using a bit of the US at the moment um, because I like the thicker stuff, and my customers really like thicker belts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, something about holding a belt that's thicker than anything you've ever held before, as far as a belt that's like impressive on on mm-hmm. a on a first impression basis. Yeah. So I like to use the thicker leathers, even though they're more expensive. Um, so I use you know Herman Oak and Shahin and a few different US, yeah. North American steer leathers. Um, Use some stuff from Moss Tanners down in South Australia somewhere. 
Yeah, do you know Austanners? I've heard of them, I think. Yeah, so they do... They're actually fairly big. They're one of those things where I, I sort of found them by happenstance. I think I saw their eBay store, and then I, I looked into it, and I realized they're a massive tannery. Yeah. Massive. Um, so they've got some great leathers that I use for my duffel bags. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, trying stuff out. You know, different products. I want to do a few different products this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to try out these different leathers, which is kind of the good thing about buying buying them, you know, little one, one square feet or two square feet. You can test out things and it doesn't cost much. Yeah. Is it... Three, three to four, because I know your thickest felt, that's five millimetres. Is that people like the five millimetre ones, or is it three to... Because I, I know the usual belt width is usually 3.5 to four millimetres, which is... Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's, that's the typical, yeah. Um, yeah, I just try to do a bit thicker these days. Um, so for my, for my latest release... My product, the the unbreakable belt, that's like a six mil. Wow. Um, so it's a different product. As I said, it's not ideal for the office or whatever. But um, if you're in the bush, when, when you're holding good. your hand, you feel like you've got something that's going to last a hundred years. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just try trying to think outside the box. Um, with what the norms are and what people might like and trying different things. You know, I've, I've tried so many different leathers over the time, so. Yeah. Do you use a design program for templates? Uh, no. You... no. No? I do, I do, um, I sort of just draw it out by hand. Yeah. I figure out all the measurements and then I... You know, for like, um, I, I guess I just use like small MDF templates, just trace them out and cut them. Um, mm-hmm. But for a lot of my products, I don't really use, I don't, I don't really do a lot of wallets. I have one wallet that's the same. Yeah. It's like kind of my own design. Very simple. It's not something that needs to be traced because it's super easy. Um, but just have little templates and stuff that I've, that I've drawn out and you can cut over and then use a scratch all to just go around it and then cut it yeah. and yeah. have all the measurements written out. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's the next question about your belts, talking about your belts, because that's what, you know, that's, that's what I saw when, when I saw your advertisement, your your belts. Yeah. Just tell me a bit, of, a bit about them. I might go on your website just to... To look at some of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do four four different styles. Um, yeah. Of two different two different widths. The standard mm-hmm. width is um, thirty eight mil. That that's probably just your regular regular leather belt. Although some yeah. of them are like thirty two mil. Yeah. These days. Yeah. 30, yeah. I do thirty two and thirty eight. So usually usually thirty two. You can wear them with chinos and that sort of stuff. Like a yeah, yeah. I did 40 for a bit, um, depending on the buckle. When I found a buckle that I liked, 
you know, you, yeah. you've got to, you've got to, your thick, your thickness, is, your width rather is determined by the, the size of the buckle. But um, yeah, I also do 44 mil, um, the double prong. Um, and they seem to be pretty popular with the guys. Um, I think I, I do want to launch um, women's belts. Yeah. Which the feedback, I've done a couple of customs, custom orders for women's and they seem to like thinner. You know, yeah, twenty five mil. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'll probably do, probably do some of them in the future as well. Yeah, um, look at the unbreakable belt. Hmm. But yeah, 40, 48, 44, 44, 44, 44 millimeters wide. That's that's quite wide. Yeah, it's pretty wide. It'll fit in yeah. normal jeans though. Yeah. Um, but the problem, well, not the problem, but the, uh, when you go 44 and then you go a really thick leather, like the Herman Oak that I'm using for my unbreakable yeah. and you know, it's at a place where it's doubling over, you're yeah. talking about like 15 mil of leather sometimes, which can be quite bulky. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. That's a style thing. So, um, do you scarve any of like? Do you scarve it on the backside? Like when yeah. You, yeah, yeah, I do. I do for, for my normal belts. For but for my for my unbreakable belt, I do not scarve. Okay. I, leave, I leave it thick, um, which won't fit in every pair of pants. And I'm honest yeah. about that on the site. It's not going to fit in every pair of pants. It's, um, yeah. Because you know some like. Some like suit pants, they're like the loops are like thirty mil high. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna get a belt yeah. in there. Yeah. Um but most jeans and chinos and stuff that you know, if you measure the loop, it's like fifty mil, so you can get a forty four millimeter belt mm-hmm. in there, no problem. So which one has been the most popular one since you put up your ad? Of the belts? Yeah. Um it's a mixture between the wide belt, which mm-hmm. is a double prong center bar buckle. Um, it's 44 mil. And the, it's just an, it's called an everyday belt, which is just a West End style um, yeah. with a belt keeper. That, that's pretty yeah. popular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that double prong. It's, it's very unique. Yeah, it's like a point of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, you need something that's different in your brand. Um, I think you need something that's different. Even yeah. if you don't sell heaps of them, just because people don't want something that looks like it was bought in a David Jones or something. Some people do, but some people want something that's a yeah. bit more unique, you know? Well, I, th- I think you, I think you've definitely hit that nail on the head because like when I think of Anvil Hyde, I, I will think of that belt. The double prong belt. So I think you've done a good job with that. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's photography as well, and making it look like a real show, like like a showpiece. Um, yeah. So I had a, a, as I said, I had a friend that helped me with the photos, and he did a fantastic job just photographing mm-hmm. that belt. And I've got a few photos of that on the site that just make it look really unique. How do you get the the white background when it's all? Does, um, does, how do they do that? Those 
are you looking at a photo of the unbreakable belt? Yeah. Yeah, that, that one, um, you just sit it on a, you sit it on like an infinity wall. I mean, that is honestly a piece of white paper that was, I bought from Officeworks, like a big square, like two meter by two meter. And you, you stick the front of it so it doesn't have a corner and there's no shadows. Yeah. And it goes up the wall and it comes down to the table. Oh, yeah. Sit the product on. Maybe you, I think I might have used some blue tack just to get the right curl. Um, and then, of course, you just got to shop out the white. You just Photoshop it out. Yeah. Cut it, cut around it so it looks really, really primo. If you have a look at my camera straps, there's one that's um, an even yeah, more sorry. interesting. Yeah, that, that one was, um, they're just little photography techniques. Like you got a string of, for that one, I used a string of fishing line. Yeah, I was going to say that you use fishing line. Yeah, shot on the side and then you just shop out the line. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, it's like a really, I guess, a creative, different way to show, yeah. show the product. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Did you, like, when you do those products, you put them on like a string? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just use different techniques to um, yeah. make it look a bit different, I guess. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. But I actually really like, to be honest, I really like the um, just the the shots that like Craft and Law sort of do, where it's just on a, it's just like a, you know that brand Craft and Law, they're a US oh. brand. They do like. Oh, a bunch of stuff, but you know, they'll just throw it on like a real beat up old table timber, yeah. Stick, I like that as well, yeah, yeah. Um, so, different strokes for different folks, I guess. <laughs> I'll do that in the future. Have you sold mainly in Australia or many overseas? Or, yeah, I only, I only sell in Australia, I only yeah. advertise, um, advertise here. I just thought, you know what, may as well just try and fish in this pond before I go elsewhere. Yeah. Because I think with the US you got some stiff competition. Mm-hmm. Um and even Eastern European leather crafters, some of their stuff is phenomenal. Yeah, or like look in the like South Korea or oh, Taiwan, it's just yeah. Japan, um, you know, there's some real competition. Yeah. Um not that Australia doesn't have competition. There's some great stuff coming out of Australia, but um yeah, I just thought start here, you know, you, you know the shipping, you know the yeah. taxes. Yeah. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stuff in like Japan and all that, like shell cordovan wallets, it's just you absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's like um I just think you got to Do you sell over there at all or no, I'm inspired by over there. Like, there's a guy in Taiwan that I, I, I really, some of the, because I, I, I sort of like the more dainty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like the the thinner the thinner stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more inspired by the like the, in like English like the English, that classical English style. Yeah. And some of the the Japanese and the, Thai Taiwan and South Korea they sort of take that style from England as well. So I sort of like the two. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I haven't sold over there, so. Um, Something to look forward to. <laughs> uh, next one. 
So the next one, yes, the next one would be when you design your products, what do you look for? What do I look for? Uh, I look for, I look for functionality. Um, it's got to be functional, but it's also got to be, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, it's got to look good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a melding of, of looking good, being functional in whatever you're doing, like, yeah, and also being unique. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I designed the duffel bag, I kind of thought, well, what's, there's a lot of people doing leather duffel bags. What's something that I can do that's a point of difference? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'll make it out of one, one piece of leather. I'll make the body out of one piece of leather. No stitches. Mm-hmm. There's no small pieces cut up and joined. It's just one mm-hmm. one piece of leather and then the two ends. So real simple. It's going to be rugged because it doesn't have all these joins. Um, the straps are going to be one piece as well mm-hmm. um, rather than a, a lot of guys do shorter pieces that are like riveted, which is fine. You know, rivet and burrs, they, they're going to last. They're going to hold, but it's kind of nice just to have one piece mm-hmm. well so it kind of just looks a bit cleaner yeah um because when you get into looking at cheaper made in wherever bags and stuff you you look at the panels that they use for and there's like 50 panels there's a video that dave does from saddleback leather in the states have you seen that no have you heard of um saddleback leather no, I haven't. Okay, look up, look up Saddleback. They're very, they're very functional as well. Um, YouTube boys, and he does this video of how to knock off one of my bags, and he basically gets. Oh, one of your bags? No, one, one of his bags. Okay. Yeah, so he's got he's got these very popular bags. Mainly, he does bags, and he's got a video of. Um, how do you knock off one of my bags and do it really cheap? Mm-hmm. And so he's got this video where he's going through and showing how it kind of looks like his bag, but there's like 50 different small panels that they've used from little scraps of leather sewn together compared to his one where it's one or two main main um, pieces of leather. Um yeah, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, I got off track, but um, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what I kind of look for. Yeah. Yeah, I took I took apart a a wallet on my YouTube. Actually, it got, got quite um anyway, and I took apart a mass-produced wallet and compared it with one of my billfold wallets. And when you make a billfold wallet, it's just leather all the way through, like leather tea pockets leather back leather you know and anyway so this this wallet that i took apart master produced one opened it up and it's so com- complicated you know there was cardboard in it to make it stiffer yeah just the lining just the edges are folded rolled over and it was just so complex to make and it's yeah. just yeah just better off making a handcrafted one with quality leather 
Yeah, that's the thing. I think um, when you get to that level and you've got like a massive warehouse and factory and you're pumping out these products, you've got these you've got these machines that'll fold over this edge that's like a half a millimeter and it'll glue it down perfectly. Yeah. Uh, but then they'll go and they'll shoot themselves in the foot by putting cardboard in it or yeah using subpar leather. Um, mm. Right. So yep. it's yes. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, those um, dismantling videos. Yeah, um, like, yeah. There's a few of them popping up from, from the States where the, one of them, the guy, cuts cuts the boots in half. Have you seen yeah, Rose, Rose Anvil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he cuts them in half. and Yeah. That's pretty cool. I think the small handmade, made-to-order, um, in touch with the, the maker, customer experience, I think that's there's a resurgence. I had someone tell me who, who's kind of a business coach. Well, he's just more, more of a mentor, I guess, but um, who's running a business and get, give, giving me business ideas because I've never run a business. But he was like, I just don't think your business would have run 15 years ago. Mm, yeah. And, he, and I kind of was surprised, but I think he's right. I, I just don't know if before Instagram and YouTube and stuff, people were that interested in leather. Um, so I hope that it doesn't reach a saturation point where every man and his dog is is uh, is a maker. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'll be cool too because there'll be a great community, but it's just the competition will be a bit uh, stiffer, won't it? Yeah. I think that's probably also another... Uh, that's one of the. I think that's the one of the downsides to having like an international um, brands because like different countries are more expensive than others. Well, I, I found that like because Australia like it's a lot more expensive to live in Australia, so your your costs are a lot more. It's harder to like as a maker. It's harder to compete with other countries where their cost of living might be a lot more. Um, uh, cheaper and that sort of stuff, and that's sort of where it comes back to like leases and that sort of stuff. Like they're probably going to have to change because I, I, think, I don't think I could even lease a place. I think it would just be way too expensive to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's a problem that I'm kind of having. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing this from my home, uh, and I did that because I didn't want to bite off. I, I didn't want to bite off more than I could chew when I left my job. I was yeah. already taking a risk, as I said uh, earlier, about being able to provide for the family and to take on um, the rent of a new space as well at the same time. I just thought, no, it's probably not the best time, even though oh, I would love a, a separate space. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely my next big goal. Um, but even if that means a garage somewhere, because I'm just doing it in a spare room at the moment. Mm-hmm. But um, there's just leather all throughout my house, uh, which is it's kind of a pain for my family. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not ideal to, to do this. But at the same time, you know, I, I did inquire about a couple of places, you know, getting a getting a well, a shop front is just crazy. I mean, you've got to be doing some serious sales mm. if you if you can justify getting a shop front in Sydney or anywhere in, you know, Australia for that matter. Um, bit different over in the States and things, but, um, 
Yeah, just even your own like little warehouse space in Australia, it's going to cost quite a bit of money. Um, so you really need to be up to that level. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine what it's like in Sydney. I know yeah, in, in the CBD in Adelaide, I'm, I think I remember I did hear a story. I'm not sure if this is true, actually, but in some of the places in Adelaide were like vacant and they would actually give you like a six months free lease period where you wouldn't have to pay for uh, six months or so. I'm not sure if that's, I heard it from someone, so I'm not sure if it's actually reliable, but right. yeah, if you, if you want to own a shop front in the CBD, I'm not, yeah, it'd be, it'd be thousands a week. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you think about how much of the churn out, Oh, to make I, I don't even. Think you could do it as a solo maker. Yeah. Um, I know there's a few different, there's a few different leather handmade places in the city, but they're all sourcing pre-made bags from Italy. I follow. He might be from Adelaide, but he's got a, a small studio. But it's it's also shared spaces. You know. Mm-hmm. You know they yeah, yeah. spaces. Yeah, in Adelaide they do do shares. They do have studios. Like I know there's one place where different crafters will be yeah in um be you'd want your own space that well that's that's probably the stepping stone isn't it getting one of those little studios where there's other crafters and stuff but then it's not really a shop front is it Hmm. i don't know if they can take customers walking in and out maybe they can i don't know yeah probably probably where markets come in yeah, Good and, I, and that's the thing, because a lot of people, would there, would there be the foot traffic, you think? You know, probably 50 years ago, like people, you, you go down the main shopping centres were crazy, but because of online, you don't really need to go. Like, I, don't, I don't even go to the shops very often, you know. No, no, nah, nah, people hardly... have less tolerance for traffic and stuff as well nowadays, funnily mm-hmm. enough. Um because of all the conveniences of, of modern society and next day shipping and whatever. Um, I, I just think going to the mall, like there's something in the back of my head that's like, why would you put yourself through that torture? You know, and, and now in the, in the COVID world, um, you know, there's people that are just not going to do that. They're just only going to shop online. I, I was on some Shopify blog and they had some stats about people's shopping habits since the start of COVID. And it was, it was up like 73% or something huge. People are just unsure of public places and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Now that probably has a roll on effect to, well, I would hope it has a roll on effect to leasing a place because we've got all these businesses that are now working from home restaurants closing down hopefully there'll be like a lot more commercial real estate that's on offer Mm -hmm. and maybe that'll affect some of the prices yeah in the future maybe that's a possibility as well yeah even like the cbd you know people working from home that does that affects you know all like you know shops and restaurants and that sort of stuff so yeah like you said yeah hopefully there is a roll-on effect because yeah, it's just very expensive, and also a lot of a lot of the shops as well. A lot of them are franchises as well, so you don't really need to go to the 
you know, the CBD when you could just go to a shop that's sort of same franchise, like same franchise, they're just in two different locations. Right, same same product. It's just two k's closer to my home. Why would I go to? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. That's. I mean, that is a shame though that everything's franchised and they're all big brands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully we see that turn around. Mm-hmm. Do you think small leather crafters have dented the mainstream luxury industries? Um, I think I think they may have, but I don't know. I don't know because it's not really a world that I'm really familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be people that want to buy the brand name and you may offer a better product, but because nobody knows your name, yeah, <laughs> um, they're going to buy the, they're going to buy the Armani belt, mm-hmm. which is probably half the quality of yours and double the price. Mm-hmm. So I like to think that there's people that are, gonna buy handmade leather craft because they care about what it says to them yeah yeah, yeah. What, do, what do you think um yeah it's, it's kind of like what you said the other before that that business mentor gave advice 15 years ago you wouldn't be able to do this um i think now with the just the, just the, the, how quick education can spread and how quick communication can spread. You know, like, like those, open, you know, you see those people opening up boots and cutting open wallets and you can just see what's in, inside of it. I think, I think there, there may have been a d- denting into it because, and also because uh, I've seen a documentary as well where, you know where where the some of these products are made, like they're made, you know, offshore in China, and then they're taken to like Italy or one of those countries, and it's sort of just and they do something and they say, you know, made in Italy, where it's actually made. Most of it's been made somewhere else. So I think there's a lot been yeah. a lot more scrutiny on products. Yeah. And and yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah I, I, I hope so. Um, I think people value transparency. That's another thing that does well with, with us leather crafters is people get to see the process, especially if you've got a functioning Instagram or YouTube and you can make a product and they get to see it. Um, a lot of these big brands, they don't want you to see how it's made <laughs> because they're because they're making stuff in bulk, you know? My brother lives in Hong Kong and so I go there a fair bit and they seem to really they seem to really like those big brands yeah the status symbol um yeah lots of watches and you know you can't own a car well you can but it's it's absurd to own a car in hong kong so you buy a rolex instead um you know and it's not just so that you can tell the time it's because you like to um you like to show that you're doing okay um so that sort of culture although even though saying that you know there's some great leather crafting stuff in hong kong popping up as well so i don't know it's different different strokes for different folks i think but hopefully it's digging into that absurd mass-produced overpriced 
Can you tell yeah. how much I love these big brands? <laughs> yeah, I know. No. So when you weren't making the sales that you, but you wanted to design more products, how did you tackle this? Did yeah. you just focus? Did, did you focus on the products that you did have and promote them, or did you? What did you do? Um, I I think the tendency is to make more products than you actually need, and and. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to launch with two products, but I almost think that that's a better way to do it rather yeah. than having 15 different products and getting them all to a place where you're happy with them and can make them repeatedly. Um, I almost think it's better to just get one or two products or maybe have one wallet, have one belt, have one bag or whatever it is, one key ring. Um, but starting off small and having a small a small product line rather than lots of products that like I've got, I've got three camera straps at the moment. I I don't need three. I probably need one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just variations and stuff. Sometimes I think it's, you want to sort of not be only have a couple of products, but I sometimes think it's better just to, yeah, have a couple. Yeah. Because then you're known by those products. You're not just... That's right. And you're not wasting um, time on development of of different variations and, you know, just nail one thing. You can do one mm-hmm. thing really well, you've got a business, you know. That's what I figured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this would be the last one. So in regards to your duffel bag, when you're... Well, what sort of leather do you use for a duffel bag? Do you, because you said just it's a one piece, so that would be a lot more thicker. Like you, you don't add any stiffness or. No, I don't do lining either. Um, yeah. I don't do lining. Um, I do like lined bags, but I just, I kind of want it to have that rugged edge, you know. Yeah. Um, so I use like an oil tanned leather. Mm-hmm. Um. For those ones I've used like a chrome retan recently just to try out um, chrome veg retan mm-hmm. which has been good um, it depends sometimes I get re- requests for different leather like yeah I, I just bought some do you know chrome excel yeah yeah I bought some chrome excel recently to, to make a duffel out of um, I'm just going to try some different things and see what I like working with. Um, but primarily, I, I use like an oil, oil okay. tan, high oil with a pull-up um, and a milled, a milled sort of texture. Yeah. Um, two and a half mil thick. Yeah. And, and when you were learning to make that, because um, it's so, it's so you have to use a lot, a lot of leather to, yeah, to make something yeah. like that. Was a lot of was it a lot of trial and error? Or did you, how did you plan it so you had the least amount of hassle so you wouldn't have to keep buying leather to redo it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, for that one, I you I made a canvas bag first. Okay, so I used, yes. I bought a roll of, um, it's not a waxed canvas, but it's like a really heavy duty. They use it for... Um, they don't use it for tents anymore, but they use it for like military tarps and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's a thick tarp that you might see on the side of a truck. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I bought some of that because I wanted a, a heavy-duty duffel bag and I didn't want to pay the cost of leather and stuff up a, a massive side of leather. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that first and it's, you know, it's a very easy design. If you think about it, it's just a cylinder of leather. There's a couple yeah. of pockets in there that are a bit more tricky and there's, um, you know, there's some funny things going on, but it's, I, I just, yeah, I would say if you're going to test and research and develop, just get a cheaper, a cheaper leather and make a tester and give it to a friend. Um, yeah. Yeah, would, mm-hmm. would be the best method if you're going to do a, a new a new product out of a high quality leather. I'd just do a test first. Yeah, do you, can you just get that wax canvas just from the craft shop? Yeah, I got that from. Well, it's not waxed. It's kind of like wax. Unfortunately, wax canvas is very hard to get in Australia. If if not impossible, you kind of got to <laughs> import it from the states or China which I don't really want to do. Um, and I kind of want to do leather first. So I, I yeah. gave up on the wax canvas, but you can get canvas. There's a couple of manufacturers in Australia. They make it for the for the Navy and the just the Defence Force. You know, they make, I think they make it for caravans and stuff. You can get it in different colours and... Yeah. There's a, what's it called? I think it's called... Um, No, I can't remember. I can't remember. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, so uh, th- thanks for coming on, Aaron. I, um, All right. Thanks for having really me. really appreciate your knowledge and another leather crafter from Australia. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, mate. Appreciate it. No, good.